Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 61. The building that I purchased that cost 20000 it's actually a four-unit building. And we rehab the two retail stores downstairs, and we'll keep one as the liquor store. And the liquor store will actually pay $1,000 a month in rent to the building. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everybody? I am Jay Scott. I am your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here again this week with my amazing and lovely wife and co-host, Mrs. Carol Scott. How's it going today, Carol? Oh, everything is going super today. And before we get started, I just have to send a big old shout out and thank you to you, Jay, my amazing baby daddy (laughs) slash husband. It was Father's Day two days ago, and you are by far the most incredible, wonderful, loving, fantastic role model for our two little boys. And I'm so grateful for you. You're an amazing husband, an amazing father, an amazing business partner and partner in crime in general. So thank you for being you. I love you you and appreciate you. And to all you dads out there, I hope you celebrate it appropriately. And I hope you had a wonderful day. Okay. Enough about that. Speaking of parental figures, I've got to tell you, my mind is absolutely blown right now. So get this. I just got off the phone with my mom. She is still living in the house I grew up in. So she's lived there for over 40 years, even though I'm only 29. So I'm not quite sure how the math (laughs) works there. But uh, she and uh, my stepdad have decided it is time to downsize into something more appropriate for, you know, for them at this point in their life. And get this. They looked at a house. It was a little rehab. And, you know, I don't mean to talk all about real estate, but again, my mind is completely blown right now. It was on the market for three and a half days. There were, ready for this, 78 showings. And out of 78 showings, 48 offers. 48. Yes, you heard that correctly. She was very happy to hear that they did get the house because they were all cash, over asking price, no contingencies, free rent back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But 48 offers blows my mind what is happening right now. Can't even believe it. Yeah, it is a, a crazy market. And we've been talking all about the economy recently, but that's not what this this show is about. That's not what this episode is about. But speaking of real estate, on this episode, we have a guest who a lot of our listeners probably know from the real estate world. Her name is Ashley Kerr. And she is the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where she interviews real estate guests from all around the country and all around the world who talk about getting into real estate for, for rookies, new investors. But she's on our show today not to talk about real estate, though we do talk a little bit about real estate, but she's on our show today to talk about a business that she is in the process of starting. She's in the process of starting in, she is outside of Buffalo, New York. And she's in the process of starting a liquor store from scratch. Basically, she's decided, or she decided a couple years ago, she wanted to start a liquor store. She wanted to own a liquor store. And so over the past six to 12 months, she's basically made that dream a reality. And on today's episode, she tells us all about how she went finding the location for the liquor store, everything from uh, figuring out how to build it out, how to get her liquor license, how to get inventory, deal with distributors, deal with employees. She goes in and talks about the numbers a little bit. 
It's just a great episode for anybody out there that's thought about starting a business from scratch, especially a retail business. And it was really illuminating throughout the entire episode. My mind was blown by the fact that somebody that has no experience in this industry can basically from scratch start a business that's not very expensive, get through a ton of what would you, you would consider to be a, a lot of red tape. It's just a great story. And I walked away from this episode thinking, wow, I can do anything in business because it's really not as hard as I thought it was. So I need to thank Ashley up front for really changing my mindset in this episode and uh, and kind of giving me the confidence to kind of go after some of those things that in the past I probably wouldn't even have thought about. So you're going to love this episode. Please just go with your dreams and listen to this episode and realize that anything you want to do, it's not that tough. If you want to find out more about Ashley or anything we talk about on this show, check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash biz show 61. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash biz show 61. Okay. Without any further ado, let's welcome Ashley care to the show. How you doing today, Ashley? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about something different than just real estate. <laughs> oh my goodness. Go, oh, go ahead, Jay. I was See, just say, we're cutting each other off already. already. Go figure. No, I was going to say, we're really excited to have you on. So I was on your guys' show, uh, I guess a month or two ago, and uh, and it's great to have the opportunity to have you on. So I think everybody knows who you are, but for anybody that doesn't, Ashley is one of the co-hosts of the Bigger Pockets Rookie Podcast where they talk all about real estate for rookies and, and newer investors. So just thrilled to have you on our podcast. So thanks for being here, Ashley. Yeah, thank you. And Jay, I have to mention that I'm now the second person to have the trifecta. You were the first one to be on the three other podcasts, and now it'll be me. So I feel honored. Excellent virtual high five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's super. I love it. Well, thanks again, Ashley. And we are so looking forward to digging into something other than real estate. Although all your real estate ventures, of course, are awesome. And we love learning everything you've done. Well, guess what, listeners? Ashley is starting a brand new liquor store. How cool is that? So, Ashley, let's tell our listeners, can you give us just a tiny bit of information for anyone who might uh, not have come over from the real estate side and is more of a business show listener, give us a little bit of your backstory and just tell us how that got you to decide, huh, I think I'm going to open a liquor store in the middle of all these amazing real estate ventures I've got going. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I'm excited to talk about it because I really haven't announced it really on my uh, Instagram account. So a lot of people still don't know. They just know I'm opening a, a retail business. So this will kind oh. of be my yeah big announcement. It's your coming but, out party. This yeah, is very exciting. Yeah. It's the debutante ball. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I uh, went to school for accounting and finance. I lasted for six months at a CPA firm and hated it, quit. And I started working uh, part-time for an investor. I started managing um, a 40-unit apartment complex. And from there, it just grew. He took on another 40 units. I took on some commercial buildings for him. And I approached his son and we became partners and we bought our first duplex. And from there, I've grown to uh, 33 units by myself. And then I have um, two partners that I use. And then I own a house with my sister and a house with my brother. But um, this investor... His main business is auto dealerships, and but that he had a laundromat, 
I started a property management company for him. Uh, we started an insurance agency together. And I just got a lot of um, exposure to buying businesses, starting businesses, and running businesses just from working for him. And I joke with him that, you know, he's, I've gotten a lot more experience and benefit you know, then he has, and he was paying me. So, um, it, it's worked out really well. And he also has a liquor store. So I've thought about it for several years now, and I see what a cash cow it is for him. So my big starting point was I took a, a map of the County that we're in and it's Erie County, um, near, in Buffalo, New York. And I looked at like the areas that I would you know, feel comfortable owning property in or having a business. And I marked where all of the liquor stores were. And there were two towns that had the largest radius where there was not a liquor store. And so it just so happened that I had, there was this building that I fell in love with years ago in one of those towns. And so I decided to go after it again and turn it into a liquor store. (laughs) I love the fact that you didn't start by saying, okay, I'm going to go out and look for a business and find the best business. You actually picked up a map. So this is very, I don't want to say backwards because it it makes perfect sense, but very few people do it this way. But you said, I'm going to start by picking a location and then find a business within that location, as opposed to kind of saying, okay, I'm just going to start looking around and whatever business jumps out at me. So that's a really interesting strategy. What led you to the strategy of kind of starting with the location as opposed to like starting with the business and deciding then if it was the right location? Well, first of all, it's very hard to purchase a liquor store because everyone wants them, at least in our area. Um, It's very competitive. A lot of people already have a right of first refusal on the business. So what I knew that I had to start from scratch. I knew that I'd have to start a new one. And in New York State, um, they will only let you have one per a town unless you're already kind of grandfathered in. So you have to be within a certain distance from another liquor store. You can't be right around the corner from each other. So that's kind of how why I started looking at where that, you know, large radius was. So I knew I had a better chance of getting approved. Very cool. And just for our listeners, because I can tell there are already so many actionable tips since you are starting this from scratch, like you're already talking about the map, the radius. How did you discover that that was the case, that you can only have one per town and so on? Like what type of resources did you visit to figure that out? Basically Googling how to start a liquor store in New York State. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then I also, um, so when I first, you know, I was buying the building. I had it under contract. I actually hired a liquor broker. So his, I was paying him a a consulting fee and he helped me from A to Z to get my liquor license. So he was a huge benefit. So yeah, we did like a, a consultation call and he gave me just tons of information ahead of time too. So basically there are business brokers out there that specialize just in liquor stores, which I guess makes sense because it is a really niche business and it has a lot of rules and regulations that you don't see in other businesses. But I I never realized that there were people out there that were specifically brokers and educators specifically for liquor store owners. That's interesting. Yeah. He does liquor stores and bars, anyone getting any kind of liquor license in New York State. That's cool. Oh, yeah. so he's local to New York State. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a state by state type of brokership. Yeah. That's interesting. So very cool. Yeah, I was just going to say he um, it was a fifteen hundred dollar fee for him to do the whole process, but it's been totally worth it. 
And so what did you get for that 1500 Just so for our listeners out there that are thinking, okay, like what does it cost to, to kind of get these things up and running? What did you spend the 1500 on uh, for his help? What did he help you do specifically? So he actually came out to the building and he took pictures. You have to include pictures of the building. You have to include the floor plan of what it's going to look like when it's done for when you're ready to open. He did basically he filled out the whole application for us. We just handed him the documents and he did the whole application for us. And I can't even tell you how integrate that is is because he just took care of it. But we did have to supply him with um, a lot of financial information, you know, uh, copies of our passports. We had to show proof of funds that we had enough of our own cash available to um, open a liquor store. And one thing in New York State, too, is you can only own one liquor store. So they need they like check and make sure that you're not getting the money from someone who already owns a liquor store and they're trying to have a, a ownership in that one. Oh, that's fascinating. And you yeah. keep mentioning throughout this, Ashley, the we. Do you have a partner involved in this venture as well? Yes. My friend and I, we own a duplex and a triplex together. And his father-in-law is actually the investor that I've worked for. So we both have always had an interest in owning a liquor store from seeing him. And so with the building that I bought, it needed a lot of rehab work. So I offered him, if he helped me with the rehab, I would give him 40% ownership in the liquor store and I would pay the startup cost for it. And I had purchased the building. Got it. And so once the, the store is up and running, what is the division of responsibilities? What are you going to do versus what is he going to do versus what are you going to bring in other people to do? So we want this to be pretty hands off. Like we don't want to work there at all. And <laughs> so we are in the process right now of hiring a manager and we are actually lucky enough to the investor I work for. His manager is helping us uh, hire someone and she's helping us do all of kind of get the admin stuff set and ready um, so that she can pretty much ha give her system that she uses at her liquor store to the manager we're hiring. So that's like taking a huge workload off of us, having her, you know, just kind of give that to us. And then we're going to have uh, three part-time employees to start. But we are, as of right now, our plan is when we open, which should be um, by August, is that um, we will have, we'll be there for a weekly meeting and then um, slowly decrease to monthly meetings and pretty much the we'll just ask for reports. We don't want to be involved with the day to day, the inventory um, or anything like that. And that's how it's set up for the investor that I work for. So we want to kind of copy his model. That's awesome. OK, so we you mentioned a little bit about you're going to be responsible for the funding of, of the deal. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what the startup costs are for a business like this? Yeah. So the first was getting the broker, the 1500, and he, he helps with the application. And then you also have a hearing in front of the liquor authority. And usually you have to go to the hearing where they decide if they're going to approve your liquor license or not. And he just talks for you and walks you through the whole thing. But uh, due to COVID, you didn't have to uh, attend it. So they just, if there's any information that they want to request, they asked him directly for it. So for any emails with the liquor authority or any letters in the mail, he was always copied onto them and he was like their point of contact. And um, so he just handled all of that correspondence too for us during the whole time. And then there was a, a fee, I can't remember offhand, but it was around $2,000, I think, to actually apply for our liquor license. 
And then uh, we also have to be bonded. And that is also held part of the $1,500 fee for the, the consultant, the broker. So right now Excellent. we're looking at starting inventory of uh, $35,000 to start. We've partnered with a distributor and that will be what he recommends um, for us to start our store with is $35,000 of inventory on hand. And then the building that I purchased that costs $20,000, um, it's wow. actually a four unit building. So it has two residential and two commercial downstairs. And we rehabbed the two retail stores downstairs and we'll keep one as the liquor store. And the liquor store will actually pay a thousand dollars a month in rent to the building LLC. Great. Yeah. So pretty much that's um, then also, you know, our getting our utilities set. Um, there's, you know, we just got internet put in. So different small costs like that. And then our next big startup cost will be hiring the full-time manager to kind of help us get ready for that opening day. Excellent. My gosh, there are so many great things I want to dig into in there. This is really great information. So let's start with when did you start this process? Right now we're recording this. We're on June 16th is our yeah. recording date. I'm like, I, I don't even know what month it is anymore. COVID has totally thrown me for a loop yeah. still. But when did you start this whole process? So it started in November. I closed on the building in November and I hired the broker in November. And we were told it would take about um, six months to get our liquor license. And due to COVID, it took a little bit longer. So we actually just got approved. Let's see, on the 13th, we got conditional approval. We had our, our hearing. So the only things we have to do now is submit the finished photos, supply just copies of our insurance and just a few little things like that, you know, copies of our sales tax ID. So we should be hopefully within a month have our actual liquor license in hand. Wow. And so awesome. you paid $2,000 as an application fee for the liquor license. Does the liquor license itself cost extra money or a yearly fee? Nope, that was it. That was the the startup cost. But there, I believe there is a, a fee every two years, maybe. I don't know Got that it. offhand. But yeah, I, I know there's a, I'm pretty sure there's a continuous fee. But as far as like the startup fee that will cover this first um, initial license. That's crazy because I, I, I don't know. And I guess this is one of those, you, you get these, you have these assumptions based on things you hear in your life and just things people talk about. And I've always had this impression that with like a liquor license, it takes years to get approval and it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and nobody can get them. And so for that reason, it's one of, it's one of those, I don't think I ever would have even thought about the going after an opportunity like this because I would have thought, nah, I mean, you have to be like some high powered person that knows people in government to get a liquor license from scratch and it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's some crazy process that takes years to happen. And that's actually not true. And it, it's just a good reminder that we have these assumptions about what certain business people and certain industries, what's involved in getting, what, what's involved in getting started in these industries. When in reality, like you've never been in the liquor store business before, you've never had a liquor license, you've never owned a liquor store or anything like that. And here you are six months, you get a liquor license. It looks like you're spending under like 30, under $30,000, even yeah, if you include your, yeah. <laughs> under a hundred. Under a hundred gets you the building as well. I mean, right. <laughs> and, and so it's just a good reminder that we have these preconceived notions of what a lot of these businesses uh, require or what's involved. 
But that's not always the case. And sometimes just doing a little bit of research can really just change our perspective and make you realize that this isn't rocket science. A lot of this is is pretty straightforward and anybody can do it. So that's awesome. Thank you. And one thing that's kind of it took so long is so with COVID, but liquor stores were essential businesses. So we really missed out on the past three months and because like we could have done uh, very well. So that does stink that we couldn't open sooner, but oh well. The, the next pandemic, there. I guess, will be <laughs> You're essential. Ready. You're yeah. good to go all the way around. So I'd like to know some, some more fun details I would love to know about. So um, you were mentioning a bit, and this is one of those pieces of, I guess, the real estate business that's near and dear to my heart, but I, I'm interested in how it translates over to retail. You mentioned uh, when you were applying for your liquor license and so on, having to show the plans of what it was going to look like. So how did you even know how what a liquor store should look like? And, and I mean, maybe it, it boils down to starting with, I guess you bought this building with two residential, two commercial for $20,000. So I would suspect it needed a whole lot of work to begin with, right? So, so I guess, what did the space look like before? How did you go about saying and, and figuring out this is what the optimal flow is for a retail environment, specifically this one? So what we did with the building was the the broker actually came out and he just hand drew a layout of where the counter would go. We were having a sliding barn door to separate um, just the retail space. And it actually was really nice because it was just one big open storefront already. And then it had a big, huge back room with a bathroom and a utility room. And then it also has a connecting garage where we could store more liquor. So our our whole idea was that we wanted to, you know, start small. It is a super small town, but also have the ability to expand if we wanted. So we did us, we kind of opened up the two rooms and made a sliding barn door so that for now we can keep that back room closed, use it for storage. But if we ever want to expand, we can just slide the barn door open and use the the garage uh, for storage. And the broker kind of helped us walk us through that too, just because he's seen so many liquor stores and he also looks at what the liquor authority will want. And he also gave us tips on, well, you're going to want, you're not going to want anything, your counter by this window because you want to put display there, you know, stuff like that. So he was very helpful with that. That's awesome. And again, a great reminder that you spent $1,500 on this this broker to help you out. And basically, he's helping you get the liquor license. He's helping you design the retail space. Again, it, it's common sense would say, yeah, you're spending a fortune to do this, but it's actually not necessarily the case. So let's talk about the inventory. So you mentioned about $35,000 worth of inventory. Uh, I don't know in, in New York how liquor stores work, if it's like beer and wine or beer and wine and hard alcohol or food or so how, how does like what is what is the inventory entail? And then how did you go about finding your suppliers and your distributors? What, how does that whole back of the piece pack back? I don't even know what I'm yeah. saying. The, the whole kind of uh, the stuff that the customer behind does. The, it, scenes. the behind the, the scenes, scenes stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How does that all work when it comes to, to getting inventory for a liquor store? Yeah. So in New York State, it's wine and liquor. Um, you can't buy wine or liquor in grocery stores or anything like that. So it's just wine and liquor, no, no beer. And we actually talked with the other liquor store owner and, you know, his manager, and she gave us uh, two suppliers she uses. And just because we filed our liquor license, we actually had distributors 
showing up at the rehab project, trying to get us to, you know, fill out a credit application with them. So they actually came right to us. We didn't even have to contact them at all. And we actually just went with the supplier we liked the best. Their prices were pretty comparable, but we liked uh, the one salesperson the best. So if we are going to have to work with him all the time, we wanted, um, you know, someone we liked and could get along with and have that good relationship. And how did you figure out like exactly like you said, $35,000 worth of inventory? How did mm-hmm. you decide what does that first purchase look like? Like how much of this, how much of that? What brands, what uh, what types of alcohol, what types of wine? Like wh- who, who makes that decision on like how you do that original stocking? How do you learn that? And we are not going to learn that. <laughs> and I don't know anything <laughs> about liquor and wine. And that is what we're relying on the other manager from the other store for. She okay. is helping us through all of that. And then that's what she's going to train um, our new manager for. So actually next week is our first round of interviews and we're actually looking for someone who has, it's very hard to find someone who was a, a liquor store manager just because there's really not that many, but we want someone who has, you know, bartending experience, who has managed a bar because they do all the ordering for the bar. They know different drinks. They know what goes with what or, you know, what dry wine, sweet wine, stuff like that. So that's how we're trying to kind of expand our market pool of possible managers is looking for someone that's managed a bar, which there's millions of bars around here. So hopefully that will help us find someone and we would have them handle all the inventory. Very cool. Yeah, that was good. I was going to ask that question too. I was so curious about how you're going about finding your person, your pool of people. Like you said, have you gotten some good leads or whatever just by talking to different bar owners and bartenders and that locally? Yeah, there's actually one guy that I was out to dinner this past winter. So I already had my liquor license pending and he came up to me and he actually recognized me or knew me from being on the bigger pockets real estate podcast and he's like i knew you lived here and I, he's like i you know i i'm sorry to interrupt you but i just wanted to meet you and he was trying to get into real estate himself and he was actually the manager there at that restaurant so I've actually been trying to get him to come and <laughs> manage the liquor store. So he's like my number one lead right now. But we actually did. We just uh, listed it a week and a half ago online um, that we're you know looking for someone for the position. But we have at least four good applicants that we're going to interview right now. That's super. And this, I'm asking this question simply because it's always a great tip for our listeners just to hear different online tools and resources. Where is it posted online? Of course, you know, you're going to get like 42,000 applications as soon as you tell where it's posted online. But which site are you using? I'm just curious. Yeah, so I did on Facebook and just like local little groups. And then I did on Indeed, um, the the dealership that I've done work for, that's what they've always used. So I use their account and I, I posted it on Indeed. And then it's actually posted on Craigslist too. Super. So that's a, Jay, I think that's like such a super great tip, right? Is that you have these big online national sites for hiring, but sometimes some of your most powerful people, especially for something like a liquor store where I mm-hmm. would assume a big part of the marketing, which we're going to talk about more in a minute, is just building those local relationships. Sometimes things like Craigslist, like Facebook, that are really those smaller venues that are tied into the local community may end up being your best bet. So I think that's a great mix all the way around. 
it was marketing. That's what I wanted to talk yeah. about next. So I know, like you said, and congratulations, by the way, it sounds like just a few days ago, you had everything, you know, the, the stamp of approval to really move forward. Yeah. So do you have initial marketing plans yet or plans to differentiate yourself or what's that all looking like? So the big benefit of, you know, not having a look, you know, multiple liquor stores in every town is that you're the only liquor store in that town. So there are about three others that the people in the area drive to now. So there was one of those liquor stores was kind of going downhill for a while and people would drive you know, that extra 15 minutes to go to a different one because it was just, it was cleaner, better service, had, you know, better inventory. So that is something we have to be very careful about is that if we don't have that great customer service, people are going to drive to the other ones in the surrounding area. So our biggest thing is going to be our grand opening first to get people in the door and we want to really, we kind of want to be you know, not boutique-ish, but we want to be unique. We don't want to just be, you know, the the plastic shelving on the walls and just a, a standard liquor store with the neon lights. You know, I, I spent a thousand dollars on ceiling tile that looks super <laughs> nice for this small little space just because I want to, I want to make it an experience. We did a huge countertop, uh, concrete countertop. And we're going to do like uh, tastings on there, samplings. And I'm lucky enough to have a friend that owns a brewery. So opening night, we're going to, you know, have him come and uh, do his his uh, blueberry vodka that he makes and do samples like that. So we're really going to try and not spend a lot of marketing dollars per se, advertising in the paper. We're going to try and push Facebook a lot. And the liquor store in the other town, they actually don't spend any money on advertising except for they pay for a 10% off coupon on a, a, a placemat on one of the local restaurants. So I think that's very interesting. Um, that it they is. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, but I, I want to mention too, we're having a custom uh, builder come in and do a wood uh, shelving for us and displays. Um, he does like very unique lumber. And so he's, we're having that, um, all kind of custom made within the store to kind of just give it a, a, you know, a more unique feel and people enjoy coming into the store. I love this. And I think you're touching on something that is just so indicative of the trends and things that are happening with our time, right? Um, it just seems super smart that instead of being a retail location, mm -hmm. you are an experience-based retail location, right? I mean, we talk about mm -hmm. in the late 90s, that's how Starbucks differentiated. It wasn't somewhere you go and get a cup of coffee. It's somewhere where you go sit down with your friends and, and have a conversation while you're drinking a cup of coffee. Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing the same type of concept with your liquor store. And it's, it's interesting because we live down in Florida and we have I mean, there's a liquor store in every corner here and Total Wine's <laughs> the big one. And they do, we we joked when we first got down here that uh, it's crazy. It's like Costco. It's it's Florida's party town anyway, right? So yeah. it's like Costco on Saturdays. And at the end of every aisle, instead of getting a free little sample of, you know, some new peanut butter at Costco, there's like shots of vodka <laughs> and there's like wine. It's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. So it's 
it's perfect for all these retirees doing their, uh, you know, their Saturday afternoon drives around town. Yeah. So are you um, are you expecting that as you move forward, like even beyond the grand opening, you'll be creating more of these experiences to get more people engaged and coming back for more and telling their friends? Yeah. So there is a, a unit next to it that we actually just finished. We have it listed for rent now, but it would actually be a very it's a very nice open space that would actually be good for hosting, you know, maybe even just uh, small gatherings or having more availability to do these tastings in that other area. And then my business partner, he loves ice cream and he really wants to open an ice cream shop in that unit. And he's he's really trying to sell me on it. And I said, we need to get the liquor store going first. But He's like, you know, you come in, you get your ice cream, you get your liquor. He's like, you can send the kids in to get their ice cream while you go in and shop for your alcohol. (laughs) So he kind of wants to make it an experience that way. And I don't know how that will work out, but but we'll see. But yeah, we want to try to incorporate, you know, just different little events and stuff even have like a guitar soloist on there you know a friday night come and just play guitar in the corner there's a local coffee shop here that every friday night they have like an open mic thing and you know even a lot of people don't tend to drink coffee at night tons of people still show up just to hear these musicians and they're all playing for free and people just come to listen and hang out yeah it's a great strategy you get them in the door they're gonna buy something um, yeah. Either because they need it or because they they feel this obligation to for, for reciprocity. But basically, you're giving them something. You're giving them either samples or free music, mm-hmm. um, and they're gonna they're gonna return the favor by buying something. Or yeah. <laughs> even if they don't that night, they're now familiar with the store and they're gonna remember every time they drive past. That's awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So going back a little bit, you had mentioned that there were other liquor stores in the area before you came along or before you do come along. People were driving to various stores that were some distance away. So it sounds to me like you've done some market research on where your customers have been going, what they liked and didn't like about where they were going. And so you knew before you started this process that there was an opportunity in your particular location for this particular business. Can you talk a little bit about how you did that market research, how you found out where where your customers, your, your future customers, where they are going now or previously going and, and what they liked and didn't like, how'd you find out all that information? Well, I knew that I wanted to open a liquor store at some point. So even two years ago, I was listening and I was watching these liquor stores and, you know, I would, I didn't really, I wasn't involved with the investors liquor store much, but anytime he talked about it, I would ask questions um, and I would get to know his manager, but he also tried to buy one of the other competing liquor stores at one point. So I helped him kind of vet that liquor store. And I found out a lot of information from that as to, you know, what its numbers are, what, what it was doing. 
And then as far as finding out that people were driving, that I found out from the one manager. She just said, you know, we get tons of people from this other town and they just tell me when they come in and they buy it by the cases so they don't have to keep driving back and forth. But they said that they let, because the prices were better, they had, you know, a bigger supply of inventory and it was just everyone was friendlier too when you came into the store better customer service so a lot of it has just been you know word of mouth like every time i walk into the building and there's especially now that the weather is nicer someone stops me when are you guys opening when you when are you gonna be open (laughs) so there's just been a lot of people hounding us too as to they're sick of driving to the other places when will we be open But it's just been, I haven't done any kind of, you know, paid research or anything like that. This is just of what I've been hearing and listening for for years. And I think that's just a super tip for our listeners. It's just like if you've got any business ideas that you might want to pursue at some time, just like you said, Ashley, always listen, always watch, always ask the questions, just constantly make that a part of your everyday activities so that when it's time to do it, when it is time to really venture out there, take that risk and move forward, you are really well prepared. So I think that was really smart that for the past couple of years, you've been prepping for what inevitably happened. That's really neat. And, and yeah. I, as host of the uh, the Bigger Pockets Rookie podcast, the real estate podcast, I'm sure you know, as, as well as we do, that There are a lot of people out there that are doing real estate deals. And we learn early on, if we're in real estate, that you're constantly pounding the pavement. You're constantly asking people what they're doing. You're constantly looking for deals, talking to people that might be selling or buying. It's all about network. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, at least in in our network, because we, we deal with a lot of real estate investors, is that you can do the same exact thing in business. No matter where you are, what you're doing, talk to people that, I mean, people own businesses, people frequent businesses, people invest in businesses. So just like you do in real estate, constantly talking to buyers, to sellers, to brokers, to agents, to other investors, do the same thing in the business world. Anytime you walk into a business, if you think the guy behind the counter or the woman behind the counter might be the owner or the manager, start asking questions and and learn about how various businesses work, learn what's needed in your area and what works, what doesn't work. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's just one of those things that if you just spend your time asking questions, being inquisitive, you're going to find the opportunities. Yeah. And I think that I have a great benefit that, you know, this investor already had one and I'm learning from him and, you know, get to copy his business model, but I'm going to, I'm really going to be a direct competitor of his. I mean, it, it's not that far away from his and, but he was still willing to help me and willing to do anything to help us get this started. And if you know anyone that, you know, has a business that you'd like to get into, they might be willing to do the same for you. And then you'll have an even better chance if they're not direct competitor of you, of them helping you. And um, I actually had someone uh, reach out to me on Instagram. He had heard that I was opening the store and he owns one 30 minutes away. And he is he's like dying for us to come and tour it and how he can help us. And I just I think that is so great. And it's so worth asking someone or, you know, telling them what you want to do. And people are more than willing to help you get started. Because what goes Absolutely. around comes around. <laughs> you got it. Jay and I were just, it's funny that you're mentioning this right now. Jay and I were just having this conversation yesterday that we were talking about, especially over these past couple months with all the craziness. It's become, I think, really clear. Uh, I'm, going on, I'm going on a bit of a segue tangent a minute here, but it's become really clear to us that in your life, you've got a lot of takers 
and you've got a lot of givers, right? And we've discovered it's really it's really become so very evident, very clear over these past few months who those givers are and who the takers are. And we've been just so grateful and fortunate that we are, I think, in the Bigger Pockets community, surrounded by so many givers, people who really just want to put information out there, help do whatever we can to all lift each other up. And it's just, it's a great reminder. Like you said, what comes around goes around. If you put it out there and give, then more people are going to keep giving back more and more. So I don't know. I just had to, I just had to yeah. throw that out there. It's just my bigger pocket <laughs> happy moment agree. that I'm grateful. Yeah. Right? I'm yeah. just grateful that we're all part of this community together because there's just so much giving and we all want to help each other succeed. It's super. Yeah, I agree with that. I try, like I started my Instagram account one year ago and I just did it to try to help other people get started and, you know, show what I was doing and actually provide valuable content. And it does take me some time. I do these whiteboard posts and I put a lot of thought into them and it takes me a lot longer than it looks, but I never would have been, you know, on the Real Estate Rookie podcast if it hadn't been for providing this content on the on Instagram. No one would have known from Bigger Pockets who I was. And I see that as a huge value that I, I'm part of, you know, the Bigger Pockets community and, you know, that I took the time to post the stuff on Instagram and try to show how other people can do it. So it definitely has come around for me in that fact, for sure. That's awesome. So I know we didn't talk about this before the show, and I know that you haven't yet uh, started the business, uh, but I have to imagine you've at least thought about the numbers. So in terms of like, what do the margins look like in in a business like this? And I, I don't know what level of detail you're comfortable talking about that or what you've thought about that. But can you talk at all about the numbers that that you expect to see in this business in terms of margins, in terms of like what the opportunity is, et cetera? Yeah. So our first year, which actually we were, we, when we first started, we planned to be open by June. So we figured within six months, we could have a profit of $40,000 going forward with that. And we expect to see within the first three years, we can do, you know, an eight to 12% increase from that going forward. It's really going to depend on a lot of trial and error going forward because we don't know what we're doing (laughs) and, you know, having our manager, but we were very fortunate to get the last three years of financial statements from this other liquor store. And so we looked what they did. And to kind of put together our pro forma, we basically said, okay, so this is the population in this town. This is the business they're doing. We think we can do a third of that. And we took their sales, took a third of that. We took, you know, their inventory, took a third of that. And then, you know, we took what the utilities would be off the building, you know, built all of our expenses. But for anything that wasn't like a utility cost um, or insurance or stuff, we just took it from the liquor store and cut it by a third. Their payroll, cut that down to a third. And then as we started, you know, growing and building the business, we realized, okay, you know what? We don't, we actually need less employees than what they have as we started to put together, you know, a flow chart of responsibilities, how many employees we need, how many hours we're going to be open. And we just, we did a lot of just pen and paper, just scribbling down and writing out these different scenarios. And we came up with our, you know, our, I'm a licensed insurance agent. So I was able to easily get us a quote on what our, you know, our insurance costs would be. 
Yeah, I, I think you've you kind of hit the nail on the head that a lot of it is, and again, we have a lot of real estate investors I know in our audience, and, and I'm sure a lot that are listening that know you that are real estate investors. And we know that with like, let's say you're talking about a rental property, the way you run the numbers, you, you put together a profit and loss statement. So you mm-hmm. have at the top, here's our income, here's our the rent that we're going to charge. And then you subtract out your major expenses, taxes, insurance, maintenance, property management, those sorts of things. And in the business world, it's very, very similar. You figure out how much income you're going to make. And it sounds like you did that because you actually saw a competing business or a complementary business to yours. You saw how much income they were making in a town of their size. So you said, okay, our town is this size. I think we can make a third of that. So there's your income. And then in a business, just like in real estate, there are these certain expenses that every business is going to incur. You're going to have insurance costs. You're going to have payroll costs, you're going to have utility costs and rent and all these things. And it's it's really, it's very much the way you do a, a rental property pro forma. A business is the same. The expenses are a little bit different. The revenue might be a little bit different, but at the end of the day, it's all your income minus your expenses. That's how much money you make. And so I think a lot of us are uh, like to overcomplicate things and think that there's like some magic formula for a business but if you know how to analyze a rental property, you can pretty much analyze a business with just some minor changes. So I, I, it sounds that's like that's a, exactly what you did. Yeah. And that's a great point because I don't know a ton about like I'm I have a coach now to who's helping me through building systems for businesses. And, you know, as I want to I really want to diversify my portfolio and just my business income in general. I want to have different streams of income. So right now I'm trying to learn about a lot about building a business. And I basically started it, like you had said, like just the pro forma. Like if I was looking at a property, this is how I would analyze if it would be a good investment. And that's basically what I did with this liquor store business. And now I'm learning about KPIs and flow charts and different stuff like that. So I can continue building these businesses. But I feel like if I would have, and I know this is probably bad to say, but if I would have started digging into all these things and, you know, figuring all all these business analytical stuff first, I probably would have waited a lot longer and I probably would have got stuck in analysis paralysis or I just would have gotten bored with figuring out all these systems. And I do know they are 100% important that you should know them, but I'm glad that I at least got started and, you know, I'm I'm learning it now, but I mean, I'm glad that I took that first jump just knowing what I knew of business from working for that investor and, you know, kind of managing my rental properties and having that business. I think that's great. And like you said, you just you just went ahead and did it and you got started. So before we jump to four more, I'm just wondering, Ashley, are there any specific tips or any specific learnings throughout this process that you would love to pass on to any maybe new business owners, someone who's wanting to own a business for the first time, someone who wants to be an entrepreneur and just hasn't quite made that jump or is just starting? Is there anything in particular, some advice or tip that you would like to share with them? Yeah. Well, one thing is I I think if you don't know, if you like hate your job and you don't know what you want to do or look and see if maybe you are an entrepreneur. I never really thought that I would ever be an entrepreneur. Like I went to school for accounting. I thought I, you know, sit in an accounting desk all day and analyze other people's businesses and tax returns and pro formas. But now that I look back on it, like when I was in middle school, I painted rocks and sold them on the side of the road. 
when I was pregnant with my first child and right after I had him, I sewed baby clothes in my spare bedroom and sold them online and made $16,000 in one year selling them on Instagram. And like, it has not, it never even like hit me that, you know, it took me so long to realize that like, I like being my own, you know, I like to work for myself. I like to build different businesses and then I like to get rid of them. I don't like to manage the day to day. So I think really think about yourself and do you want to be like me where you want to build the business and that's the fun, exciting part. And then once it's done, someone else runs it for you or you sell it. Or do you want to be the person the day to day and you want to, you know, buy a turnkey property and, you know, manage it day to day. So I think there in business, there's so many different opportunities, just like real estate, as to how you can be an owner of that business. And I think take a look at yourself, take a look at, you know, your past history. What have you tried to do? And, you know, my my baby clothing business failed because I did not like being in a sweatshop all day, you know, while my baby's sleeping, sewing these little baby clothes. So I, you know, I should have figured out sooner that I did not like doing the day-to-day stuff and maybe I should have hired all that out and just grown the online presence. But yeah, Yeah, I think just take a look at yourself and see what might be a good fit for you. That's a great point. Just like real estate. I mean, it's really easy to build yourself a job. Uh, if you're yep. going in and you're painting your own houses, doing your own rehab work, managing your own properties, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's the, a bad thing to do, but it doesn't. If if you don't want to create a job, if you don't want to be working in the business day in and day out, there are ways that you don't have to be doing that. And you can create systems, you can create processes, you can put people in place that can run those businesses. So you can go off. You you spend six or twelve months building this business, creating the systems and processes, getting great people in place. And then you go do the next one. And now you have this residual income coming in that you're working. You're probably still involved in the business a few hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you have time to go do the second business and the third business, and the fourth business. And again, very much like real estate. If you want to be hands-on, you can be hands-on. But if you want to be hands-off, there are opportunities to do that yeah. as well. And so it's a really good reminder. And I do have that shiny object syndrome really, yep. really bad. <laughs> So that's one thing I'm trying to focus on now is because like I want to buy a laundromat too. You know, I want to build up my essential businesses and I, but I, I know that I need to focus on the liquor store too. So that would be like another piece of advice is like focus on what you're doing and build that first and then move on to the next thing instead of trying to build all these different things. Like I got my real estate business going. That's pretty hands off. I'm involved as much as I want to be right now. And then now I've got the liquor store and it's also motivating to get it done because then I know I can go and find that next shiny object to do. Yeah. And it's not either or. I mean, you look at at, at big names like Elon Musk. I mean, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, he had started PayPal and now he's like sending private rockets into space. <laughs> uh, that, that's a big departure. But for him, it was he spent years building this business and then he said, okay, now I want to go build the next one. And it was Tesla. And then he said, now I want to go build the next one. It's SpaceX. And yeah. so I, I know a lot of people out there have shiny object syndrome. I have shiny object syndrome. And we we often think of it as a bad thing. And it is bad if you get distracted before you hit your goals. But if you can focus long enough to get things kind of autonomous and running on their own and then move on to the next shiny object, get that running and and generate a stream of income, then move on to the next one. Shiny object syndrome isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
It's just important that you focus till you get to some end point before you move on. So, so there's always that, that balance. It's not necessarily good or bad. It's, it's how you implement it. Yeah. You just don't want to be pulled in so many different directions that, you know, nothing is succeeding because you're just going everywhere and you can't focus on that one thing. My last piece of advice would be to, if you're going to start a business, you don't have to learn everything about it. I'm a prime example of that. And I am leaning on so many people to (laughs) get this going and hiring out as much as I can. So don't, you know, let that deter you from starting into a business. Absolutely love that. Okay. Well, I think we're now ready to jump into the final segment of the show that we call Four More. And that's where we ask you the same four questions that we ask all of our guests. And then at the end, we jump into the more part where you can tell us a little bit more about how we can get in touch with you, uh, how we can learn more about your businesses and learn more about your awesome podcast. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask the first question. Is that okay, Carol? Of course. Go for it. So Ashley, what was your very first or your very worst job and what lessons did you take from it that you're still using today? Well, my very first job, I was a hostess and it was a restaurant. It was like a dive bar. But on Monday nights, they had buck night where they had, you know, a dozen clams, a, a crab leg crust clusters for a dollar. So, I mean, the line would just be packed out the door and it was from 9 p.m. to midnight. They would offer this. So here I am, 15 years old, you know, staying out late, you know, hostessing at this place. And I would have to, there would be crowds of people and I would have to scream people's names to uh, get them, you know, get their attention to seat them. And then it grew into uh, me waitressing there. And I worked there all through high school and it was probably my best job ever. My, you know, just great people. And I just learned a lot about hard work (laughs) working there. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we had to do a lot of the cleaning. We had to, you know, do a lot of the stuff ourselves there. It wasn't like we had busboys or anything like that. And then my worst job was another waitressing job when I was home from college one summer. And I, uh, for some reason, I don't, I don't even remember. I wasn't working in that other restaurant. And uh, I, applied at like a more franchised restaurant, I guess you could say. And it was just not as, it was very different than, you know, working at this laid back dive bar. But um, I, they did a a two week trial period with me and I did not make it. They said that I did not smile enough and I got let go. (laughs) So that was the worst job. (laughs) And I, I told my my husband, he was my boyfriend back then. I said, I, yeah, I, I can't blame them. I did not smile. I was miserable. I hated it. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. That is just crazy. It had to be a bad spot because I can't imagine you not smiling ever. So we know that must have been like yeah. the pet. Yeah. For sure. that, that's my favorite part of being an entrepreneur. I don't have to smile if I don't want to. Right. <laughs> Nobody can make me smile. Yeah. yeah. Not happening. Okay, Ashley, I'm going to take the second question. And when we first started doing the show, I don't know, about a year, it's been more than a year ago, we used to ask this question, haven't asked it in a while, but I want to ask you this one, specifically because you mentioned that you have shiny object syndrome like we do. So we're curious if there is a business opportunity along the way that you passed on and you were like, that was the best decision ever or darn, I wish I wouldn't have passed on that because, you know, we're the same way. We're opportunists. We're like, there's something, let's go after it. So have there been any along the way that you said no to, and you're either glad or sad that you didn't go for it? 
Yeah, there is in the same town that I'm buying the liquor store, there was a laundromat for sale about three years ago. And I really wish I would have bought it. It was, I mean, so cheap. And at the time I had actually, the investor that I worked for, he owned one at the time. And I had actually been helping him get it turned around because it was just, it was not doing well. He was dumping money into it. So I had some experience on it. And I, I just, I was working so much in his that I thought that, you know, mine would be that much work. But then I realized too late that it was just, you know, short term work. Just once it got turned around, like it runs very passive now. And I wish that I would have jumped on that opportunity and someone ended up buying it, but turning it into a can rental place. So now there is no laundromat in town at all. So maybe I'll just have to start one from scratch. (laughs) There you go. I'm feeling it's coming next. There you go. And we had a good episode on that a few weeks ago with Dave Ment. I did was- listen to it. Yes, <laughs> because my partner in the liquor store, he actually bought the laundromat from his father-in-law. And so we were listening to it while we we did the rehab. And there's definitely some great tips in there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. I'm going to give you a, a softball question here, but what is your favorite business book? Or well, we can also say real estate book, since I know you're you're heavily into real estate. What's your, what's your favorite book? that our listeners probably haven't read yet? Well, I honestly don't read that many real estate books, surprisingly. I I don't know if maybe I just got sick of them because I used to read so many, but I really love um, personal finance books. And so I love The Automatic Millionaire and The Simple Path to Wealth. And they're not really business books, but I think it's very important to have your own personal finances in order and kind of build that foundation before you get into starting a business because you're going to have to manage the money in that business. So make sure you can manage your own money. So I like to recommend personal finance books. And even if you already have a business going, they can help you in your business too. Love it. Awesome. And this is my favorite question. It's always a fun one. What, Ashley, is something that you have splurged on along the way, either in your home life or your work life, however, wherever, that was totally worth it? Hmm. Let me see. I don't know. I almost did splurge uh, last week on a brand new uh, expedition. I took it for a test drive all day, but I didn't do it. I couldn't spend the money. But one thing I'd have to, I guess I would have to say like our outdoor patio. We, we took us about three years to actually complete it, but we, it's a huge concrete stamped patio. And then um, we built, my husband built like a kind of like a a shelter on there. And last summer we spent uh, a lot of money to have it all vinyl wrapped and a ceiling fan and even the inside of the roof vinyl wrapped so that we never had to stain it or maintain at all. So I guess that's like one big thing we splurged on that we absolutely did not need to do, but we just didn't want to have to deal with staining the wood. So. And you probably spent so much time out there, right? I mean, that's, I and that's like, summer. it gives us so much value. Yeah. We spend so much time out there. So it was definitely worth it. Definitely worthwhile splurge for sure. Awesome. Okay, Cash, uh, Ashley, that was the four. Now let's jump into the more part of the four more Can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, where they can find out more about what you're doing, maybe where they can listen to your awesome podcast uh, and and maybe a link to your Instagram, because I know you put in a lot of work there and provide a ton of value there. Anything else you want to tell our listeners uh, at the end of the show? 
Yeah, thank you. So um, you can find me every Wednesday on the Real Estate Rookie podcast. We've been having a great guest on the show, uh, just people who have just gotten started into real estate. And then we also have some professionals on who kind of tailor to meet the needs of rookies and, you know, help you find out what you need to look for to find a professional just like them. So that's every Wednesday we release a new episode. And then I'm also on Bigger Pockets if you just search my name. And then um, on Instagram, you can find me at Wealth from Rentals. Awesome. Ashley, this was absolutely fantastic. I am really excited to have you back in six to 12 months to hear how the opening of the liquor store went. Uh, do you have a name for it, by the way? Or um, It is actually just the name of the town. Okay. Yeah, my uh, awesome. the the guy that I work for, he's very like picky about like he doesn't understand how Google searches work, and so he <laughs> thinks you're if you Google search like that town and liquor, your name will only come up if your <laughs> liquor store is named that. So we did it almost as like a joke to him, like we we knew you would not approve and that would not help us unless we named it the town. But yeah, he's so funny. He thinks Google it will only come up in on Google if it's the name of the town. <laughs> Hey, it, that's okay, it, it actually helps with SEO, though. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's it does awesome. help, but yeah, yeah. So <laughs> well, we're funny. really excited. I can't Excellent. wait to have you back in six or 12 months to hear how the, the, the launch and the opening went and how everything is going. But thank you so much for being here, sharing the just the story of, of how you're making this so. And, and I'm really excited because, again, uh, and I'm going to say this one more time, this is one of those businesses that an hour ago before we started this interview I would have just assumed this that normal people like you and me don't get into this type of business because there are so many hurdles. It's so expensive. There's so many intricacies in the in the industry. Um, but you've kind of dispelled that myth, and it it really it gets me excited about what other opportunities are out there that I'm not considering because I have this mental block thinking it's too tough or or I can't do it. And so it it's just a great piece of motivation to kind of go out and don't let preconceived notions stop you from from making progress. Yeah. And really the startup costs, I, I don't think have been that large. I mean, especially if I were to rent the space and not even, you know, do have the rehab costs in the building purchase and even the, the inventory, you you know, you can get credit, a line of credit with the, the distributor. So, I mean, it's not even like you have to, if you don't want to pay that fully out of pocket at first, but yeah. So it is, it is very interesting to me too, to watch it all unfold. That's awesome. Ashley, thank you so much. And we will be checking you out tomorrow on the newest episode of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. That was an amazing episode. And like I said in the intro, and I'm still thinking about now, I love the fact that Ashley was willing to take on a challenge that a lot of us just would assume is out of our reach. Getting a liquor license, doing it quickly, doing it inexpensively, starting a retail store from a building that she bought from scratch having to design the layout. Basically, she started from nothing with this business and in the last six months is pretty close to like getting ready to launch a, a, a liquor store. That's just crazy. It is really crazy. But I've got to tell you, Ashley is so focused and realizes the value of multiple streams of income and really satisfying that bright, shiny object syndrome. She likes to build those businesses and get them out of the way and just keep bringing in more money. So that woman can do anything. And guess what? Everyone, listeners, you can too. Like she said, just get out there, listen, and ask 
the questions and be looking for those new opportunities. And then when the time is right, jump on it and make it happen. So major kudos to you, Ashley, and you listeners, each and every one of you can do this too. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you everybody for tuning in this week. For all you real estate investors or want to be real estate investors, please go check out Ashley's Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Podcast every Wednesday. And we hope to have her back here in six to 12 months and see how the liquor store is going. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing week. Stay happy, stay healthy, and we will talk to you soon. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Keep watching, keep listening, keep asking questions today. Good, huh? Love it. So awesome. Everybody have a super week. We'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody.